If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Mark chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, second gospel in the New Testament, Mark chapter 10. I'm very excited about tonight. Uh, The last two weeks have been amazing. It's been so fun to be able to worship and hear God's word preached. And tonight, uh, the title of my sermon, if you're taking notes, I hope you are, and I hope that you'll share this live stream with anybody that you can think of right now. Go ahead and share this stream. If you're taking notes, at the top of your notes, I want you to write, Are you a leader? Are you a leader? That is the title of my sermon tonight. I'm very excited to begin a new mini-sermon series on leadership. I've been very blessed to be discipled and invested in by incredible people here at Bellevue. And I want to take some of what I have learned a lot from trial and error and try to teach you from God's word over the next few weeks as we dive into leadership. Because if we're honest, all of us want our lives to count. (laughs) To be real, we want our lives to matter. Not not many of us walk around not caring whether we make an impact or not. Now, I will be honest with you. There's many who don't desire to make a good impact. There's some in our world who want to make a bad impact. That's very true. But for a lot of us, I think that we want to make an impact on the world. And to be honest with you, if you're a Christian, you probably want to make a godly impact. You probably want, when your life is over, to at least have the people around you be different for your investment in their life. We want our lives to count. We want our lives to mean something. We want to leave the world a little bit better than we found it. A lot of us do. The problem is we don't really understand how. We don't understand how to get there. What I believe is the greatest leader of all time is Jesus Christ. And we're going to study his life and see what did he say, what did he do, how did he radically change the world. The Roman Empire is no longer around, but Jesus Christ's kingdom is certainly around and thriving. What did Jesus do? Now, what's shocking in my studying on this matter of leadership, I can be real with you, wherever you are, what's crazy is how many people, watch, don't view themselves as leaders. I've been shocked at how many people don't think they're leaders. In one of the books I've been studying, they talk about how they do leadership classes around the nation. And they ask the people in class to raise their hand if they believe that they are a leader. Watch this. What's sad is only about 25% of the people in the class raise their hand. Which means the statistic there, 75% of people don't necessarily view themselves as leaders. Even you tonight, wherever you are, do you view yourself as a leader? Do you see yourself as someone who leads? Because an overwhelming statistic says many of us don't. We have a lot of college students in our ministry who are leaders for us. And sometimes students, they walk around, I know because I talk to them, sometimes they walk around in fear saying, why am I a leader for The View? Why am I a leader for Bellevue? I still struggle here. I've fallen. I'm not good enough. Why am I a leader? On the flip side, though, there's many people who are proud to call themselves leaders. (laughs) I've been in this boat before. There's many that are proud to call themselves leaders, yet they don't live the lifestyle of a leader. (laughs) They tell people to do one thing that they are not doing themselves, which is what Jesus called hypocrisy in the New Testament. Now, I'm not saying we need to be perfect. However, there's many of us who walk around as leaders and are missing God in our personal life. We're pushing others to go and read their Bible when we aren't reading our Bible. We're pushing others to make disciples when we're not making disciples. We tell others, hey, you need to get out there and share the gospel, man. But we ain't really sharing the gospel with nobody. 
And it's a challenge. Don't hear me getting on to you. Hear it as a challenge from someone who struggles with it too. If we're going to be leaders for Christ, we have to live a life that matches that up. Now, me and my wife, man, we love candles. For us, buying candles is like a joy. I love candles. I didn't discover this passion until I was about 23. But I started loving candles. My wife would bring beach-themed candles home that smelled like the ocean, and I'd be in heaven. We go out sometimes and buy candles, but what I love about my wife is that she has battery-powered candles too. <laughs> You've seen these before. Uh, they have battery-powered candles. Like, they look real when you look at them, but when you look at the bottom, it's got a switch that you turn off and on. Then you look inside the candle and you see it's just a bulb. <laughs> it's not an actual candle. I don't call these real candles. I call them display candles. They're not real candles. You know why? Because a real candle doesn't just have an appearance of one. It has a real fire inside of it that warms other people up. You see, the problem with our world is that we have too many display leaders walking around instead of real leaders. Because real leaders don't just have an appearance of one. They have a real fire for Jesus inside of them that warms other people up too. So for you, can I challenge you? Are you a real leader or a display leader? Are you just someone that flips a switch and tries to look like a leader without the real fire inside? Or are you like Jesus Christ where you have that burning passion inside of you where you can't imagine doing anything else except serving him? Wherever you are, I believe we have room to grow tonight in this. Now, I want to encourage and challenge you. One big statement. I want you to write this down before we jump into our text. I was thinking about this over the weekend. Don't ever let fear keep you from stepping up, but don't ever let pride keep you from stepping back. I hope you hear what I said. Whoever you're watching with, with your family, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for joining. Listen, don't ever let fear keep you from stepping up, but don't ever let pride keep you from stepping back. See, many times in my life as a pastor, there's been times I've needed to step up, and there's been times I've needed to step back. I don't know where you are tonight on that. Now we find ourselves in Mark chapter 10, story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the greatest leader of all time. And Jesus is going to tell his disciples a huge truth on leadership and discipleship and what it really looks like. And I don't want you to miss this because there's many misconceptions about what leadership really is. If you don't mind, would you look with me? I hope you're taking notes. Look with me at Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. This is my personal Bible. I put a view sticker on the back because I'm cool like that. Look like look like I'm doing too much. But this is the Disciples Bible. We use this in our ministry. I read it personally. It has here journals in it. I read the Word. I study it as best as I can. I'm not perfect. But I try to get in the Word until the Word gets in me, something Robbie Gallaty says all the time. It's an incredible resource, an incredible tool. Look with me at verse 42 of chapter 10. Jesus called his disciples over and said to them, now, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, what do they do? They lord it over them. <laughs> and those in high positions act like tyrants over them. He's saying, look at how the world leads. Look at what they do. They're harsh. They're mean. They're rude. Then look what he says to the disciples right here. It's not going to be this way with you. He says, but it is not so among you. On the contrary, he tells them what leadership really is. He says, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. It's very important. He did not rebuke their idea of chasing greatness. He just told them how they could get there. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. 
he ends it with a famous verse we all know. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wherever you are right now, let's just pause. And I feel the Spirit telling me to do that. Let's just stop right now. Wherever you are, if somebody's talking or somebody's moving, let's just pause and be quiet and be still. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes wherever you are right now. I want to slow this night down for a minute. If you're alone, you can bow your head, close your eyes. I'm not going to disappear on you. Hopefully not. Stay right where you are with your head bowed, your eyes closed, and just breathe. Just think for a minute how good God is. Some of you are in your living room. You're surrounded by your mom, your dad, your siblings. Thank the Lord for them right now. Some of you are alone, and you've never felt more alone in your entire life than you have these last three weeks. God is with you. Would you thank him for his presence? For you who's watching, who's struggling, would you lift up your burdens to God right now and just say, God, help me? I can't imagine all the temptation you've been facing in this world because we're stuck in our rooms. You don't have to be a victim to sin. You get to walk in victory over sin when you have the power of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, right now there's hundreds of college students with their heads bowed, with their families, with people they love. Father, we are crying out for you to move tonight. God, this is not an entertainment. This is not a show. I'm sorry if anybody showed up thinking that this was a show tonight. This is the preaching of your word. And God, we believe that your spirit is with us right now all across this city, all across this nation. God, would you not allow us to miss what you have for us because we know you are with us wherever we are. Father, I lift up all the college students out there right now to, to you, God. I pray that you would encourage them and convict them tonight. I pray that you would raise them up as leaders who make disciples. God, I pray right now for those who are watching that don't claim Christianity, that are not a believer in Christ, I pray that they would get saved tonight because of your spirit. Father, we come before you now and we just pause. We just stop. And we just breathe. And we just listen to you. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's get into it. Number one, godly leaders don't lead like the world. Number one, godly leaders don't lead like the world. Now, the disciples probably have a misconception on leadership. They probably have a misconception. They've watched the rulers of the Gentiles and have seen how they lord their power over people. And if you aren't careful, if you observe the world too much, if you watch worldly leaders too much, you can live in a misconception as to what leadership is. See, a misconception simply means you miss the true meaning of a concept. That's all it really means. It means you understand a concept, but you miss the true meaning of it. It's a misconception. They know the concept of leadership. They get authority. They get hierarchy. Jesus isn't rebuking that. They, they get that idea. However, they have missed the true meaning of what God put leaders here to do. It's possible to know a concept yet miss the meaning of it. I can understand the concept of a team sport like basketball and yet miss the whole meaning of it by going out there and trying to play however I want to play, by shooting every three I can even though I'm not a shooter, trying to dunk even though I can't dunk. See, I understand it's a team sport, yet I miss the concept and the meaning of that team sport. I know, I know that you remember in the Old Testament, 
with the Israelites. We've talked about this before. The Israelites, watch, they understood the concept of God's grace. They understood that they were sinners and needed God's grace. However, they missed the true meaning of it because they kept running right back to sin. They understood the concept, but they missed the meaning, just like you and I do. See, they had a misconception about God's grace. They thought they understood it, but they missed the meaning of it. See, they saw God's grace. Watch this. This is so important. They viewed God's grace as freeing them to sin instead of freeing them from sin. Many times in the Old Testament, they would just do whatever they wanted to do and then chalk it up to God will forgive me anyway, so why not just live however I want to live? They knew the concept, but they missed a meaning. See, many of us in our lives, we think we are smart because we understand concepts. We just haven't realized we missed the meaning of them. (laughs) See, I don't ever want to be too prideful in my life where I think just because I understand how something works, like leadership, don't ever be at a point where you're prideful to think, what if I'm missing the true meaning of it, though? That's where I've been lately. I've been thinking about that. And I'll give you one more example. Man, we all understand the concept of repentance. You do as well as I do. We understand the concept that we're sinners and we need to repent. Yet oftentimes that understanding of the concept of repentance is not enough to lead us to actually repent, is it? There's many times we fall into sin. We know we're supposed to repent and get back right, but we don't do it. It's dangerous. Jesus Christ is saying that the the rulers of the Gentiles have a misconception. See, they believe that leadership is power, like a lot of people in our world do. They think leadership simply means power that they get to use to lord over people. They believe leadership means getting those below them to do whatever they want. And then what's amazing is Jesus Christ comes in, cleans house, and says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. Jesus Christ says they think leadership means beating people down. No, 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 no. Godly leaders don't use their power to beat people down. Godly leaders use their power to build people up. (laughs) Jesus says, let's get this thing right before I go and get crucified and ascend to heaven. The power that I give you is mine anyway. It's going to be used how I want it to be used. You don't use it to beat people down. You use it to build people up, to make a kingdom of disciples who understand, one, how to read the Bible and study it and meditate on it, who understand, number two, how to pray and talk to a living God, the God that made you, how to go and talk to them. Number three, how to go out and tell someone about the goodness of Jesus that they've experienced in their life. And then number four, how to do it all over again. It's called discipleship. It's the greatest thing in your life. It's the greatest joy you can experience. Being discipled. Discipling others. It's the greatest joy. It's the greatest joy you can have. See, many of us, we think leadership is a position. We think it's some, even Jesus says position. We think it's some place, some job title, some recognition from man. We think that that is what leadership is. And as college students, we think we're not really leading. We think we're missing out on leadership simply because we haven't been given that position yet simply because we haven't been given that title yet. Man, if you're waiting on man to give you something to lead for Christ, you got the concept of leadership, but you missed the meaning of it. (laughs) It's not a position. It's not a title. Leadership doesn't come from those two things. Jesus says leadership does not come from a position. He says it comes from a perspective. He says it's from how you view me and God and Scripture. That's where your leadership comes from. 
So many people think, and it's sad because I used to be there when I was lost. I used to struggle with this when I was a basketball coach. thought I had to win all these games to make a name for myself and put myself out there. When I realized that ain't worth nothing anyway, they think that they've got to climb a ladder of success to be a leader. Like they got to network with the right people and get connections here and connections there. And, oh, I know so-and-so who has power and they can put me in a position of power. They think that means leadership. That's not leadership. Jesus says that's not it. He says it's the spirit of God in you willing to love people. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus Christ is the greatest leader of all time? When you compare the world's idea of leadership, climbing a ladder of success, building these contacts, do you realize that that Jesus Christ influenced the whole world yet really didn't have any of that? Have you thought about Jesus' life, the fact that he had really no high position given by man in this world? He was homeless. He wasn't celebrated by the high-up people that you would need to help your career. In fact, those high-up people went and nailed him to a cross. (laughs) He didn't have any of those things, and yet he was the one who freed the entire world of sin, of 15 billion people, and was still talking about his leadership from this holy book 2,000 years later? That's insane. That's nuts. Jesus' kingdom will always outlast man's kingdom. Which one are you and I living for? It's amazing. So as a college student, you may not have your career all figured out. I know Salsa's out there watching. Y'all know Salsa, one of our students. Shout out to Salsa. I love Salsa. I was talking to him a few months ago. He said, Coach, I don't have a calling. I said, yes, you do. You have a calling from God. I said, where did you go to school? He says, I go to Southwest. I said, and God has called you to Southwest. See, Salsa thinks because he didn't have a career yet, he doesn't know what his job is yet, that he doesn't have a calling. No, God has called you right where you are. You just don't have your next calling yet. So lead right where you are. Lead. I hope Salsa's okay with me putting him on blast. I didn't ask him permission for that. I hope you're okay, Salsa. Jesus has called you to leadership today, college student. Let me encourage you. You're called to leadership. You're called to lead now. Not when you start your career. No, you're called to start leading now. Can I question you for a minute? Let me just ask you a question I'd want someone to ask me at 22. Are you wasting your leadership today by worrying about it too much tomorrow? Are you missing the people right in front of you because you're trying to think about how many people you can get in front of you in three years? God called you to lead now, college student, now. And you're supposed to look different than the world. You're not supposed to look like this world. You're supposed to look different. I can't tell you how many college students have wasted their college years because they didn't lead right where they were. I've seen it. I've been here at The View four and a half years. I've been around for a while here. I can't tell you how many leaders I've seen miss it. I missed it for a long time. If it's not about power and it's not about position, number two, godly leaders influence people. Number one, godly leaders don't lead like the world. But number two, godly leaders influence people. Now, I hope you're taking notes. I want you to write this down in your notes right now. This is straight from one of the books I've been reading. I'm going to reference it at the end of the sermon. This is the quote on leadership. Write this down. Leadership happens anytime you influence the thinking, behavior, or development of another person. Leadership happens anytime you influence the thinking, behavior, or development of another person. This book, I'll go ahead and tell you about it right now. 
This book that this comes from is a book I've been telling our leaders about that's called Lead Like Jesus. An incredible resource that I've been reading. My team has read it before. Uh, some of them have. It's an incredible resource. you got all the time in the world. I encourage you to pick this up and read it and study it. It's all about the life of Jesus. We're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks. So think for a minute in your life. Who has influenced your life the most right now? You know, obviously Jesus Christ if you're a Christian. But who has influenced your life the most? Really? Who's made the biggest difference? Who's it been? For me, I remember when I was 21 years old, I was a college student. Right after I got saved, I came to The View for the first time. I got saved. I was a sinner. I was living in sin. I got saved at 21. I came to The View. I met a guy named Corey O'Hara. He is now the middle school pastor right here at Bellevue. We're pastors together. But back then, he was just a college student. And I met him, and we lived together in college. He was a roommate for me. I remember four years ago, I was preparing to start a leadership role uh, in The View. It was my first time as a student. Like many of you are on our leadership teams, I was getting ready to step up to that call. And I was excited about it. I was nervous about it. I was anxious about it. Number one, because I just got saved. I didn't know what I was doing. But I was on fire for the Lord. And I remember going over, we had this room where we live. And it was a small room, and It was tiny. It didn't have any space. And there was two clothes racks, mine and his. And they basically took up the whole room because we didn't have any room in there anyway. I remember the night before, Saturday night, the night before I start this role, I go over to my clothes rack, and I'm looking at my shirts. And I remember this moment like it was yesterday. I was so defeated. I was so beaten down. You say, Daniel, why? I was looking at my shirts, and I realized that I didn't have a single nice button down to wear. All the ones I had were old, worn down. It wasn't my style back then. I didn't ever wear button down, so I just didn't have any. And I didn't come from a lot of money where I just had money. I was a volunteer coach. I didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't have any nice shirts. And I'm standing there, and I'll never forget sensing someone watching me. I look up, and I see Corey across the room. He's staring at me, but he's got a different look on his face. He can tell I'm upset. He says, Daniel, what's wrong? I say, man, I don't have a single nice button down to wear. And I start my leadership role tomorrow. I know it's not all about the clothes you wear, but, I mean, I'd like to wear a nice shirt tomorrow. And he looks at me, and he pauses. Then he looks at his clothes rack, and he walks over there. And I'm just staring at him. He walks over there to this clothes rack. He starts going through his button downs. Goes through about five or six, and he picks a red one out. I've seen him wear it. It's a nice button down. He's holding it up. It's polo. This is a $150 button down. He looks at me. He walks over to me, and he hands it to me. I say, whoa, you going to let me borrow this for tomorrow? Without a moment's hesitation, he says, no, I'm going to let you have it. And Daniel, any other button downs you want off my shirt rack, take them. They're yours. I said, what? A $150 button down. I said, Corey, you lost your mind. Why are you giving me this, man? I'm literally looking at him. I'm like, why would you do this? He looks at me. I'm like, nobody's ever done this for me before. He looks at me. He says, man, these shirts are items. You are my best friend. In that moment, 
because I knew that Corey O'Hara cared about me, I followed his leadership anywhere. For some of you that you think you don't have influence, can I ask you something? Do the people in your life know that you care about them? Because if they do, they'll follow you anywhere as you follow Christ. The problem is many of us wouldn't give away our best button down to even our best friend. I wouldn't because we're so selfish. We're so materialistic. It blew my mind he'd give away a $150 button down because this culture in America says gaining is way better than giving. So maybe for some of us, the action step, if you want to lead somebody, take your nicest shirt you have, give it to them, and just don't expect anything else in return. Because he never asked for anything in return for that $150 button down. See, you have leadership. You have influence. The question is, how are you influencing those people? Is it all about you getting yours? Or is it about helping others find Christ and live for them? That moment with Corey that you say was small changed my entire life. Changed the entire course. I, I never looked at servanthood differently after that moment. It's amazing. I want to challenge you. You have leadership. And I want to ask you, how are you influencing these people for Christ? Write this down. A, yourself. You got to look in the mirror and you got to start to say, how am I influencing these people for Christ? Well, number one, it starts with yourself. Listen, you can't lead anyone until you lead yourself. You can't go coach someone how to read the Bible if you aren't reading. You can't coach someone how to pray if you're not praying. It's simple. It's a simple thing, yet we miss the concept of it. What does it look like for you, college student, to lead yourself right now in this quarantine? Is it just a ginormous stay up all night, watch TikToks? Is it just a ginormous do whatever you want? Or are you disciplining yourself in Bible reading, prayer, verse memorization, fasting? What does it look like for you to discipline yourself? Because hear me, if you try to lead others before leading yourself, man, that's like trying to teach somebody how to drive when you don't have a license. You're not going to know where you're taking them, and it's probably going to end in a wreck anyway. <laughs> How are you leading yourself? What does that look like for you? Do you have any type of plan as to how you are grounded in the word of God? Do you? Because how you lead yourself comes so important. We're going to talk about that more over the next few weeks. I would encourage you during this time to think what areas of your life are you thriving in and what areas are you hurting in? Where do you need some work, man? Where do you need to nail down some things and get right with God? Figure it out for yourself. Be your family. Once you lead yourself, where you go from there is the people that you're related to, the people you're closest to. I've been so encouraged to talk to you and how you are doing with your families. I talked to a college student last night who said him and his family, they're reading through the Bible together. And they talk about it almost every night. They try. They talk about what they're learning from the Bible. I've had conversations with students who said that their family is enjoying watching the live stream. Let me ask you, many of you moved home. How are you leading and influencing your family? Some of you got lost family members that don't believe, Jesus, don't believe in Jesus the way we do. What are you doing to pray for them, to share Jesus with them, to influence them towards that gospel? Because they can get saved. They could be radically changed the way you are. 
What about your siblings, man? How are you leading your siblings? For me, me and my sister, sometimes we fought a lot when we were kids. I know you probably don't believe that. I know you and your siblings never fought. We fought growing up. I've had to stop and ask myself, man, how am I trying to lead my sister during this time? I'm not doing a good enough job of it. And I feel like I'm not the only one in that boat. Lead your siblings, man. Make them a priority. You have no idea how much this time can impact them. And then see your friends. Three of the first ones, very home, very starter level. You got to lead yourself, you lead your family, and then you lead your friends. Let me tell you something. Too many Christians are influenced by the people around them for bad, for the worse. Man, you were made and created in the image of Christ. You were created to stand out. You were not created to fit in. You were created to stand out, which means many of you have friends that watch stuff you know is wrong, that say stuff that you know is wrong. Are you willing to stand up and call them out for it in the name of Jesus Christ? Are you willing? Because that's hard, man. I just got done talking to leaders all last 24 hours. Man, the same thing we said a lot was it's hard to call out my best friend when they're not pushing me towards Jesus. Are you willing to? One-on-one, not in, a, not in a big public space, not where you're trying to do something for show. You've humbled yourself, you've prayed. But are you willing to change the culture around you? Or are you happy being changed by the culture around you? It's a tough thing to ask, man. I, I, I don't know. But your friends are looking to you as a leader. Your influence over them, whether you know it or not. Your influence over them. Jesus says, you got to be a servant. He says right here to his disciples, you have to be a slave. For even the son of man did not come to serve, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then, number three, godly leaders serve people. Godly leaders serve people. They do ministry to serve, not to be seen. And it's not always easy to do. And sometimes one of our leaders said it, sometimes serving people that you don't necessarily love being around are the people that need your encouragement the most. And that's not in my notes. I don't know who that's for. But your family, your friends who you think, I don't really care about them that much. They get on my nerves. They might be the ones that need to see Jesus the most. Christ tells his disciples he's made it clear. He's washed feet. He's showed them what it means. He's healed people. He's suffered. Christ is making it clear the requirement to be a leader for him is humility. It's humility. It's you walking in humbleness. It's you humbling yourself by the Lord. Because let me give you a fair warning. From 26 and being married, I've been through many trials and errors. Listen, he's going to ask you to do things that you don't fully understand. God is going to call you to do things that go against your pride, that go against what you're comfortable with. He's going to ask you to do those things, and you're going to fight it, but you've got to submit to the Holy Spirit of God. Our pastor says it all the time. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to give to somebody, give before you talk yourself out of it. I know you remember Peter when he's on the boat with Jesus. I do. Man, they fished all night. They haven't caught anything. And then Jesus is on the boat with them. And he tells Peter, cast out your net. After failing all night, he tells them to, to cast out their net again. Now, you remember what Peter was probably thinking. Peter's thinking, man, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm cool with listening to you teach, Jesus. But hold on. You're invading some of my space here. Remember, Peter's the fisherman, not Jesus. <laughs> Peter's probably thinking, man, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Why are you telling me how to do my job? I know what I'm doing. You Chill, Jesus. And that's a lot of us. We're okay learning and hearing. We just don't want to do the things he's called us to do. But you remember as well as I do, in Luke 5, 5 to 8, this will be on the screen, Peter's response is right here. Master, Simon Peter replied, we have worked hard all night long and caught nothing. Right there, Peter has the chance. He's almost at the point of saying no. I believe he's almost at the point here where he's like, why are you telling me to fish? But then look at Peter, though. He has a shift here. He says, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. He goes on to say, look what else it says in verse 6. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to break. I know that you remember this moment. Their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. It later says, when Peter saw this miracle, when Peter saw it, what did he do? He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. Humility. Humbleness. Peter says, I'm not worthy to stand in your presence, Jesus. Go away from me. He sees himself, not as some high and mighty leader, but as a sinner in need of God's grace. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ called him to do two things. <laughs> he, called him to, he called him to do something that, number one, defied human logic and defied human ego. He called him to do two things. It defied human logic and defied human ego. Have you ever thought about that before? Could it be that Christ is calling you to do something that's going against your own human logic? Could it be he's calling you to do something that goes against your ego? Some of you, man, you got battle scars cut of this world. Let's be real. Some of you are worn and torn and beaten up. You got people in your life who have wronged you, and you know God is calling you to forgive. That goes against your logic. The world says, man, forget them. They did you wrong. Man, you need to hate them for the rest of your life. You need to, you need to completely keep them away from you. All that does is it hurts you. It doesn't hurt them. You're just harboring pain inside of you because you won't forgive. But Christ is calling you to forgive. I would say that goes against human logic. It certainly goes against human ego. I've had to forgive people who wronged me, and it hurt because I didn't want to swallow my pride and say, I was wrong. I should have forgiven you. Some of you, if I can be real with you, this ain't in my notes. Some of you, Jesus is just calling you to start getting serious about him. Some of you, your leaders, you've been living for Christ, but since the quarantine happened, that fire you have for Jesus is gone. Jesus is saying to you, when are you going to get serious about me again? When are you going to believe that I can still do a miracle even in the midst of a quarantine? See, Peter was in a situation where he didn't think a miracle could happen. Many of us are in a situation where we don't think a miracle can happen. Why? It defies human logic. It defies human ego. Yet Jesus is knocking on your door saying, hey, this quarantine hasn't changed me. I can still cause the miracle that you're wanting if you'll have faith, if you'll obey if you'll chase after me, if you'll throw your net back in there, if you'll chase after those disciples that you stopped discipling, if you'll chase after those people who you want to get saved, Jesus says, I can still cause the miracle. But we've let our faith fall off because of the coronavirus, and we ain't on fire for Jesus the way we were supposed to. Man. Jesus has a bigger plan for you. 
than for your foundation to be rattled by our current circumstances. He wants to show us a miracle. He wants to move in this city. He wants to move in your family. He wants to move in this nation. But it's going to require believers getting nasty in prayer, getting nasty in God's word, getting crazy about this thing that we call faith. But too many of us are just that candle. We got to switch on, but that fire's gone. I don't know what leader I'm talking to right now because none of that's in my notes. I don't know what leader I'm talking to, but Jesus is asking you to stop being lukewarm, to get on fire for him right now, to serve the people that you're around, to love them and do things for them without seeking anything back. I love this idea about ego. One of my best friends always used to tell me, man, whenever I was being prideful, he'd say, Daniel, you know what ego stands for, right? I say, no, what does ego stand for? Already prideful because I didn't want to hear it. He said, man, ego, ego stands for edging God out. (laughs) Ego means you are literally edging God out of the details of your life and you don't realize it. Why don't you realize it, Daniel? Because you're too prideful to admit it. It's a a never-ending cycle. Ego, edging God out. Jesus came to Peter in that moment and said, dude, if you're going to follow me, wake up. You've got to let go of that ego that you're holding on to. You've got to stop edging me out. You've got to let go and fully follow me. Whatever I call you to do, you go. He says, let go of that ego. Can you imagine how many men would not have ate fish if Peter had not listened to Jesus on that boat? Some of them wouldn't have had food to eat because he didn't fish and catch the fish Jesus called him to, to get. You see, your ego not only gets in your way, Your ego can get in others' way. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. You got to let it go. I tell myself that every day. I got to wake up. I got to nail my ego to the cross. I got to let it go. You can't care about what people think of you. You got to let that go. You can't be too cool to live for Jesus. You can't. Man, I've seen many dudes fall because they're too cool to live for Jesus. You can't be that way. That's not a leader. A leader ain't too cool to serve. A leader's not too cool to to be humble and cast his net back in the ocean. A leader's not too cool to wash people's feet, to serve people. Nobody, hear me on this, nobody sacrificed their ego the way Jesus Christ did. Nobody. He was in heaven, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, all glory bestowed unto him, and he chose to come down. You want to talk about your ego? He was the Messiah and chose to come to this earth and take on our unappealing flesh. To take on our struggles. To take on our pain, our hurt. To walk this earth. He humbled himself. He literally lived and served anybody he was around. When you want to talk about caring what people think, some of us, our greatest fear is embarrassment. Some of us, we don't live for Jesus because we're scared to be embarrassed. We're scared of somebody saying something. We're scared for somebody looking at us. Man, do you know how embarrassed Jesus must have been when he was publicly beaten and tortured for us? Man, listen, the last two weeks, it's been comfort, man. We're getting through this together. I got to challenge you tonight. Jesus was publicly embarrassed and mocked and spit on and tortured as a leader. 
literally publicly embarrassed for us and not because we loved him and are so grateful for him. He didn't die for us because we were good people. He died for us when we were sinners, when we were lost, when we had nothing good in us. He chose to be publicly embarrassed by being nailed to a cross. No one has given up their ego more than Jesus. If you and I claim to be followers, we've got to let go of our ego. We've got to put it aside and say, I will serve anybody I'm around. Jesus took on the sins of this entire world as a leader. Died three days later. What we're about to celebrate this weekend. Three days later, rose from the grave victorious. First person to ever, first and only one to ever conquer death. Taking back the keys, the ruler of this world. That's Jesus Christ. And he loves you. Wherever you are, he loves you. Even though you have sinned and fallen short, he loves you. Even though you're imperfect, he died for you. But he's not happy with where you are. He's calling you out of that sin. He's calling you into holiness. He's calling you to be more like him. And most of all, he's calling you to lead. He's calling some of you to get serious tonight. When will you start? When will you let that fire blow up again inside of you? Because the question is not, are you a leader? You are. You have influence. The only way you don't have influence is if you're hiding under a rock. The question is not, are you a leader? The question we're going to answer over the next few weeks is, who are you truly modeling your leadership after? Who is it? I want to encourage you right now. And I want the Christians that are watching our students to begin praying wherever you are. I know for many of you, as I just talked about what Jesus Christ did for us, it hit your heart for the first time. It's something that's hit you here, but it hits you here for the first time. I know. There's a big difference. I was a kid. It hit me here. I was 21. It hit me here. I was a sinner. I'm st- I still sin. I still make mistakes. I still fall short. But my life is radically changed because of Jesus. I had a moment with Jesus Christ where I repented of my sins and I gave them all over to him. Not just confess them. Confessing means telling God your sins. Repentance is giving God your sins. I was this moment at a park at midnight. I was laying on the ground in tears. I repented of my sins, which means I was walking this way, living in my sin, doing whatever I wanted. I had this moment like some of you are having tonight where I realized I was a sinner and I needed to be saved. And so I repented. I said, God, I don't want to live this way no more. I turn. I give you my life. I turn and I start walking towards Jesus. I start trying to be like him. And then the Bible says, this is what I did that night. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and then believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, Daniel, I've done too much bad stuff. I've sinned too many times. I'm too old. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Daniel, I'm in a hard time. I don't know what to do. I can't find any hope. I don't know where it is. Where is God in this? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's James 1, 2 to 4. You're in a trial right now. God's calling you to seek him and have faith for the first time. Some of you Christians are in a trial. He's calling you to have faith in this trial. But for you, have you ever had that moment where you repented of your sins and gave your life to Jesus? Have you ever had it? At 21, I realized I hadn't. You could give your life to Jesus right now. You don't need me. You have a copy of God's word and a heart that longs after him. You pray. It ain't no magic words. 
but you have to repent of your sins and believe in him. Wherever you are, if that's you, you can pray that right now. I just want to ask you to bow your head, and I want to lead you in that prayer very quickly. It doesn't have to be these exact words, but it has to be something along this, and your heart has to be in it. But if you want to get saved, call out to God right now. Christians, I know you're praying. Call out to God right now. Say, God, thank you. Thank you that I have Jesus I can look to. Thank you, God, that you love me. God, I am a sinner. I have made mistakes. I've told lies. I've done things I shouldn't have. And, Father, I call out now repenting of my sins. God, I ask that you would save me. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart he raised from the dead. Save me right now, God. Save me. For all of you who are Christians, can I give you a challenge? Is that fire still there? Or are you more like a display candle right now? Or it's just a switch? Jesus is calling you to lead and influence the people around you in a godly way, a huge way. Would you pray over yourself right now? Whatever may be stopping you from leading for God, would you pray right now, wherever you are? Heavenly Father, I lift up all of our leaders to you right now. God, you've blessed us with many capable, willing leaders. God, I pray right now that nothing would hinder their leadership. God, I pray that they would, be vict- that they would walk in victory over their sin, that they wouldn't be victims of sin, and that they would speak out and influence the people they're around for you. Father, we love you. The last thing I want to pray is, if you're out there and you've, you've lost a job, or your family's struggling, or you're struggling, and you're hurting, I want to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I know there's people out there right now that are hurting, that are in pain, who have family members that have lost jobs, who have been sick, who have been affected by this coronavirus. God, I lift them up to you in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would heal them and save them. God, we love you. And we need you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.